I can just imagine Dr. Luke sitting down to interview Mary. Uh, he's been traveling with the Apostle Paul for, for many years, but now the Apostle Paul has been arrested. He's awaiting trial in a prison cell in Caesarea Maritima, uh, where he will languish for two years until he finally gets his day in court. And those two years provided Dr. Luke plenty of time to make the rounds throughout Judea and Galilee to conduct interviews for the book that Theophilus had commissioned him to write, a book on the life and times of Jesus Christ, a history. And of all the witnesses that he interviewed, his conversation with Mary, the mother of Jesus, had to be one of the most memorable conversations. Mary, can you tell me, how, how did this all begin? Well, well, it began even before I was married. Joseph and I were betrothed, you know, and the angel Gabriel appeared to me and told me that I, I, a virgin, would conceive miraculously and bear a son, and I was to call his name Jesus. That, that, that was the day that changed my life forever. And, and when did you realize you were pregnant? Well, it was when I went to go see my relative, Elizabeth. You know, she's the mother of John the Baptist, and he wasn't born yet. And little preborn John leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She looked at me and said, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me, and th that, that's the moment I found out. That's when I knew it was all coming true. It had come true. I was already pregnant with the most precious child ever to be born. Would, would you tell me, tell me about when he was born? Oh, don't get me started about that day. <laughs> remember the Augustan census? Well, of course you remember the Augustan census. We had to go to Bethlehem. And no one, I mean, no one would give us a comfortable place to stay. And so guess who ends up having a baby in the middle of the night with a bunch of farm animals around me? Yeah, me. And uh, sweet Joseph, you know, he looked everywhere, but all we could find was like this manger. And so that's where Jesus slept his first night. And I use the term sleep lightly because between all the feedings and the shepherds, I hardly slept a wink. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Shepherds? Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. I was so tired. I was, it was so late. And then all of a sudden, bursting in, come these noisy, smelly shepherds, and they somehow knew all of our business. You know, apparently God was so excited, he just had to tell everyone he couldn't wait, and the only people awake at that time of night were these shepherds. So the angel told them they'd come and find a baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, our manger. And that's where they came. I wonder, Mary, when, when did you realize how special Jesus really was? Well, I, I suppose it was my first day back in public after my confinement, after giving birth. We went to the temple, and as we walked in, there were these two elderly saints there, and it was like they were waiting for us. Their, their names is Simeon and Anna. Those were their names, and they already knew who Jesus was. We hadn't told them anything. And they knew us, they knew him, they knew. God had showed them somehow that this baby, our baby, was the savior of the world, the redeemer, 
was an amazing moment. I'll, I'll never forget that. When did he realize how special he was? You know, that's a good question. I, I suppose it dawned on him over time just who he was. I mean, at first he was just like any other child, it seemed, playful, unassuming. He was exploring and growing and learning. <laughs> you know, I've always found it fascinating that I got to help the Word of God learn to use His words. <laughs> what was the question again? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When did he know who he was? Hmm. You know, I'd, I'm not entirely sure. His self-awareness was growing over time. I know that. But, but let, me, let me tell you when I knew that he knew who he was. Let me tell you that moment. This is the moment I first realized he was fully aware that he was the Son of God. He was 12 years old, such a little boy. And I, that is we, Joseph and I, we, we lost him. We lost Jesus. Accidentally, we left him behind, all alone, poor boy, in Jerusalem. For three whole days, he, he, he was lost in Jerusalem. It's an amazing story. Grab your Bibles. Luke chapter 2, 41 down to 52. Luke 2, 41 to 52. This is page 858 in your pew Bible if you want to join us there. Luke 2, 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, and then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? They did not understand the saying that he spoke to them, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Would you pray with me? Father, as we <laughs> catch a glimpse of this very honest, raw story. Help us see Jesus. Help us see ourselves. And help us see what it means to follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you parents have accidentally left a child behind somewhere, or maybe in a public place lost track of them? How many of you have had this experience? Yeah, it, it's awful, isn't it? Uh, coming from someone, this has happened to us. Um, the, <laughs> the feelings are terrible. Panic, desperation, guilt. I mean, it's, you feel like the worst parents in the world, don't you? It's just the worst. Just me? No? 
Now imagine you're Mary and Joseph, and God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, has entrusted to you, to your parental care, his son, his only son, the son he loves, the redeemer of Israel, the savior of the world, the hope of the nations, the one on whom everything depends, and one day you lose him. ever going to explain that we lost the Son of God? <laughs> we had one job to do. Oh, we're the worst parents ever. Ever. <laughs> now, some of you might be feeling a little better about your parenting. Yeah, you're welcome. But notice here that Luke goes out of his way to be very charitable to all the parties involved. He simply writes, the boy Jesus stayed behind. Such a factual statement. He's not placing blame. There's no indication of negligence on the part of Mary and Joseph. There's no irresponsibility here on the part of Jesus. Luke just says, this is what happened. It just happened. No reason to place blame here. The family traveled every year, 80 miles from Nazareth down to Jerusalem, which is up in elevation. That's why you get the up and the down there. Um, they come for Passover, which was one of the big three pilgrimage fe feasts every year. And uh, they would have traveled in a caravan full of family and acquaintances from Nazareth, people they knew, big entourage. And the children usually gathered together at the front of the line and ran on together. And then the women would come after that. And then the men would take up the rear. And at the age of 12, he's right on the cusp of manhood. Jesus could easily have chosen to be with the kids or he could have been in the back with the men. And so both parents simply think he's with the other one and they lose him. <laughs> they lose track of Jesus. He ends up on his own for three days in Jerusalem. Now what's up with the three days? Well, I'll tell you what's up with that. They traveled a day out of the city and then they realized when they made camp that he wasn't there. And then they traveled back the next day and on the third day they looked for him and they found him in the temple of all places. And I love this. Mary says, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. I mean, you can just hear the anxiety and the guilt in her voice, can't you? Even in the word choice. And Mary kind of is putting it all on Jesus, isn't he? Isn't she? She's just sort of blaming him for this situation. And then Jesus says, why? Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? That this is the first place you should have checked. Right here, you should have known. This is the one place I had to be of all the places. And then Luke tells us in verse 50, they didn't understand this saying that he spoke to them. They didn't get it at first. In other words, Luke's inviting us. He says, look closely here. Meditate on this. There's more than meets the eye. Mary and Joseph didn't get it right away. But in verse 51, we read, his mother treasured up these things in her heart. Something here became Mary's treasure. She treasured this. It's an interesting phrase. So that's what I've been doing with my week. I've been hunting for the treasure that Mary found in Jesus' words. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? I think I've found some 
of that treasure, and I want to share it with you, okay? So here it goes, four things. With these words, Jesus is showing us his belonging, believing, beholding, and becoming, okay? There's your outline, belonging, believing, beholding, and becoming. First, belonging. Jesus is lost, he's left behind without parental supervision in a huge city, and when you get lost, you run to what's familiar, don't you? You try to go back to the place, something that you know. And where does Jesus go? Of all places, he goes to the temple. The place where God's glory is manifest on earth. The place where heaven touches down to earth. The place where God's presence is just beyond the veil. And don't, don't you see? Jesus is drawn to the familiar. He's going back to what he knows. He's running home. You see that? Jesus is running to his home. And you see it even in the dialogue here. Your father and I have been searching for you in great distress, Mary says. And Jesus says, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Who does he run to? He runs to his father's house. He knows who he is. He knows who his true heavenly father is. And this is his father's house. And so he's right at home. He's right at home. Like, like a pigeon that finds its bearings and flies toward home. Like a salmon that is swimming upstream to the place where it was first spawned. The 12-year-old Jesus naturally, instinctively makes his way to his father's house. He's running home. This is where he belongs most truly belongs on earth right here in the temple. Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? Jesus is showing us his belonging, you see? You see that? He's also showing us his believing, his believing. It's scary to be lost in a big city, yeah? To be left behind, to be on your own. And the thing you most need in that moment is a place of safety. You need to go where you can get safe and it'll be okay. And where is Jesus' safe space? Hmm? He, he, notice he doesn't go back to the residence where they've been staying. He doesn't go to the local law enforcement officers and make a report. He doesn't go to the relatives and friends in town that they no doubt connected with when they were visiting for the Passover. No, Jesus goes to the safest place he knows. He goes to his Father. He goes to his Father. Jesus is seeking out his refuge here. He's running into his Father's arms. He's drawing near to his presence. He's taking shelter under the wings of the Almighty. 
See, Jesus could say with the sons of Korah who served in the temple as worship leaders and wrote Psalm 46 verses 1 and 2, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble, therefore we will not fear. Or Psalm 91 verses 1 and 2, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Or down in Psalm 91, verses 14 and 15, as the Lord responds to this faith, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. You see, you see Jesus, in seeking out refuge in the temple, in his Father's presence, in, in doing this, he's showing us something. He's showing us where his trust lies. He's showing us where his heart is taking refuge, where his belief is founded in life. More than anyone else, Jesus trusts his Father. He trusts his goodness. He trusts his promises. He trusts his shelter. And so he goes to his Father's house. Didn't you know I must be in my Father's house? Jesus is showing us his believing his belonging, his believing, and now thirdly, his beholding, his beholding. It's interesting. This is a, a 12-year-old boy uh, who suddenly has three days of unsupervised free time, right? He can do anything he wants, whatever he wants. He's free. What does he do? What does he do? Does he go to the sweet shop? Does he go to the park? Does he go find some boys his age and play some game? Does he put aftershave on his cheeks? Ah, right? Little Home Alone joke there. Um, now, what does he do? He goes to the temple and he starts discussing theology with the rabbis. Verse 47, 46 and 47 tell us he was listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So Jesus, Jesus goes to school. He goes to Sunday school. He goes to learn from the rabbis. And they, and they ask him questions, which is a typical rabbinic practice as they're teaching their pupils. They ask him questions. And his answers reveal a depth of understanding and profound wisdom that is amazing to everybody, astounds them. This is clearly not his first time interacting with the, this breadth of Scripture nor this depth of theology. Jesus delights in the scriptures, you see this. He's, he's treasuring God's promises. His, his spirit is tender before the Lord. He's wise beyond his years, and everyone's going, wow, what kind of 12-year-old boy is this? What kind of 12-year-old boy chooses to come and just spend days talking Bible and theology? And don't you see, Jesus loves this stuff. He's doing what his heart beats for. He's in his happy place. Jesus is embracing his delight. 
Jesus is embracing his delight here. Given three days of unfettered free time, there's nothing Jesus wants more in the world than to behold the depths of God's word and the glories that are due his name. And in verse 51, Luke tells us that Jesus was submissive to his parents when they told him he had to go. Translation, he didn't want to leave. He didn't want to leave. Jesus knew the truth of Psalm 84, verse 10. Better is one day in your course than a thousand elsewhere. Didn't you know that I had to be in my Father's house? He's showing us his beholding, you see. Belonging, believing, beholding, and then finally becoming, becoming. You know, if Jesus didn't drop into the world fully formed, He didn't pop out of the womb and say, hello, mother, I'm here to save the world. You know, he didn't do this. No, he grew, he developed, he learned. And Luke goes out of his way to bookend this passage, our passage here, with reminders that Jesus was growing and developing as a human being. Verse 40, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Verse 52, on the back end, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and man. And in between those two statements, we find this story, Jesus' dialogue with the rabbis, astonishing everyone with his understanding and his answers. And here's the point. This is just the tip of the iceberg. Jesus didn't become astonishingly wise and in the things of God overnight. No, at at the age of 12, he's a spiritual heavyweight, right? But he's been building those muscles for years, those spiritual muscles. What we're seeing here in this moment of brilliance is the result of thousands of quiet moments of spiritual nourishment and devotion on the part of Jesus. He's been cultivating a heart for the Lord day in, day out, for years, so that in this moment, in this moment of crisis, this window of pressure, when all his family structures and supports are kicked out from underneath him, his spiritual muscle memory kicks in, you see? And when chaos and instability come, Jesus immediately starts falling back on his training. He says, I've got to go fill my heart and my mind with the truth of God's word. I've got to take refuge in his promises. I've got to find joy in his presence. I've got to rest in his goodness. I've got to go be with my father. Don't you see? Jesus is defaulting to his habits here. He's defaulting to his habits. Habits, this is his spiritual muscle memory that's kicking in. So it's, you know, this is not a great day for Mary and Joseph. I mean, they probably look back on this and say, this is not a great day, right? But I'm telling you, Mary and Joseph were really good parents. How do we know that? Because they've clearly been raising their son in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. They've obviously been taking him to the synagogue. They've been reading God's word as a family. They've obviously been praying together going to Jerusalem regularly for the feast, having rich and meaningful spiritual conversations with their son. And Jesus himself has obviously been cultivating 
his own spiritual life. He's been wetting his appetite for the Word of God. He's been developing a life of prayerful dependence with his Father. He's been mining the riches of the Word of God, his promises and all that he is for us. He's been plumbing the depths of God's wisdom. He's been walking in obedience and faith each and every day. This is who he has been becoming. And so when this pressure comes, when this moment of crisis strikes, his muscle memory kicks in and he defaults to his habits. What has become to him second nature, he goes to the presence of God. He runs to the temple because it is his habitual practice to seek the Lord in his moment of need. When the pressure mounts, Jesus runs to God. See, what we're watching, we're watching what a sinless humanity does under pressure. Jesus has every reason to act like an orphan. His parents are nowhere to be seen. But Jesus responds in this moment like a son, doesn't he? A beloved son who runs to his good father, which makes me wonder four questions I've been asking myself and I ask with you. When I'm lost, where do I run for home? When I'm lost, where do I run for home? Where, where do I go to get re-centered? Where do I find my belonging, my comfort? Where, where, where am I looking to feel like I'm okay? Second question, when I'm scared, Where's my safe space? When I'm scared, where's my safe space? Whose security am I seeking? Where am I taking refuge? Whose arms am I running into? Third question. When I'm at leisure, where do I seek joy? When I'm at leisure, where do I seek joy? When, when I can do whatever I want with my time, what do I do? Hmm? Where am I searching for my own happiness? Where am I mining for my own fulfillment? Fourth question, when I'm pressured, what are my default habits? When I'm pressured, what are my default habits? Friends, when we're under pressure, we default not to our instincts primarily, but to our habits, our habits. We form our habits, and then our habits form us. And when crisis hits, our spiritual muscle memory kicks in. Jesus' spiritual muscle memory sent him running to his Father. Where does your spiritual muscle memory send you running? Hmm? You know, we've, it's, it's a new year. <laughs> we've all made resolutions. We've all messed them up. We all get now a clean slate of failure. Good job. There we are. But what would it look like today, to begin today, to build the kind of spiritual muscle memory, those spiritual habits that will serve us well the next time the pressure mounts and the crisis hits, so that we learn to run to our Father as a beloved child, 
to make him our home, to make him our safe space, to see in him our highest joy, to make him the habit of our hearts instead of running like orphans to everything else that will never ultimately fulfill and satisfy. What will only disappoint us in the end? What would it look like to build those habits? I'm talking about regular rhythms of listening to God's voice. Whose voice are you letting dominate your heart and soul? I find in my own life, the voice I listen to first in the morning and last at night before I go to sleep is the most important window of time for me to hear the voice of truth, to be reminded who my father is and that I am his beloved child in Jesus Christ. How do you wake up? Whose voice are you listening to? How do you go to sleep? Whose voice are you listening to? I'm talking about cultivating a life of prayer spiritual openness before the Father. I'm talking about gathering regularly with God's people for worship, finding strength and community to to learn to follow Him in every fabric of every aspect of our lives. I'm talking about worshiping wholeheartedly with all of your being so that He becomes your joy and treasure. I'm talking about serving regularly so that you learn to grow in love into the person you're meant to be. I'm talking about giving generously so that you learn that God is a treasure you can never give away and never lose. I'm talking about fasting intentionally so that you're cultivating your desires for the things of God, saying no to earthly things and saying yes to the things of heaven. I'm talking about sharing God's good news with the world, taking risks for God so that you learn what it means that he will never leave you and never forsake you and that he is with you always to the very end of the age. Friends, you can't wait until the crisis to build these muscles. That's when you need them. You've got to build them in the quiet days that seem boring and routine so that when the crisis comes, you'll be ready because you'll default to your habits. In all of this, friends, we've got to remember that the only way we get to run to God as our Father is because of Jesus. There's no amount of effort we will ever contribute to get ourselves perfect in muscle tone and conditioning. The only way we get to run to God as Father is through Jesus Christ. The son who instinctively ran to his father perfectly in every way that we see here, the 12-year-old boy, that same, that same man as he grew up on the cross gave up his father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In order that he might die in our place and for our sake, bear our sin and shame and rise again to make us right with God so that you and I can be adopted sons and daughters of God and run into our father's arms. See, Jesus isn't just our example to follow. He's our Savior who brings us home in the first place. And so, friends, all these spiritual habits, all these spiritual habits are just simply tools to help us learn to act like the people we are already become in Jesus Christ. They are tools to help us learn the muscle memory of what it means to be a beloved child of God. No longer orphans, now sons and daughters with a good father to run to. And so friends, don't you see, don't you know, we must be in 
our Father's house. We must be in our Father's house. May we learn to live like this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you, you have the most remarkable Son who came and lived among us fully human with all of our weakness, all of our humanity, all of our frailty, and yet without sin, perfect in every way. And Father, oh, we admire him the impulse of his soul, the instincts, the habits of his heart to run to you in crisis. And Father, we confess that we run to all the wrong things. We run to Netflix and career and shopping and food and binging shows and sex and career and all kinds of goofy stuff. But Father, all of that is gonna leave us empty in the end. It will dehumanize us and strip us of meaning and we need you. And so Father, would you reprogram our hearts by your grace? Would you teach us what it means to follow Jesus, to learn these new habits of the heart so that you might become our treasure, our safe space, our home, the one to whom we run, the habit of our hearts. Father, we want to run to you. So teach us, train us, grow us, draw us near, we pray. For Jesus' sake, and all God's people said, amen. amen.